7: Today is Tuesday, March 7th, 2023. Coming up on Roland Martin on Filter, Streaming Live on the Black Star Network. Family members say the four black Americans kidnapped in Mexico crossed the border for one of them to have a medical procedure, a tummy tuck. Two of them are dead. Two have been found after the FBI offered $50,000 for their information to where they are. Folks, uh, they went to Matamoras. And this thing ended up deadly. We'll give you more of those details as well. Cinema Jarlita, Chuck Schumer, blasts Fox News and Tucker Carlson for their outright lies running January 6th. We'll play for you what Schumer had to say. He's calling Fox News actions dangerous and unforgivable to a trash-ass network. U.S. home ownership increased in 2021. However, the rate of Black American home ownership still lags. I'll talk with the founder and CEO of Ready Life, an organization helping Black Americans close the gap. Florida's new elected leader of the state's Democratic Party, Nikki Fried, here to tell us what she's going to do to turn the state blue. She has one hell of a job. Plus, in our Marketplace segment, a mother-daughter duo is helping folks get healthy hair and skin. They'll join us. It's time to bring the funk on Roller Martin Unfiltered on the Blackstar Network. Let's go.
0: He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it.
8: Whatever it is, he's Hey
7: Two African-Americans in Mexico are dead. Two have been found. One is one of those found injured. They were kidnapped on Friday when they went there to Matamoros, where one of them was trying to get a tummy tuck. Folks, uh, this is video showing them uh, being kidnapped on Friday. The four individuals, folks, Latavia Tay McGee, uh, Shai Woodard, Zendo Brown, and Eric James Williams, again, traveled to Mexico from South Carolina for a tummy tuck procedure. The mother of one of them said she told her daughter, do not go, but she said it was going to be safe. But they ran to the Gulf Cartel, which dominates Matamoros. The U.S. State Department has advised Americans not to travel to the Mexican state due to the risk of crime and kidnapping. The FBI got involved, had a $50,000, of course, um, notice out information leading to where they were. They partnered with Mexican law enforcement uh, agencies as well. Again, two of the four have been killed Two have been found. My panel, Dr. Mustafa Santiago Ali, former senior advisor for environmental justice at the EPA. Dr. Candace Matthews, statewide vice chair Texas Coalition of Black Democrats. Dr. Larry J. Walker, assistant professor, University of Central Florida. Candace, I'm going to start with you. There are a number of people who travel to Mexico and other countries to get medical procedures. I know somebody who went to Turkey for their veneers. Folks go to Mexico uh, for, for plastic surgery. You got Brazilian butt lifts. We can go on and on and on we're talking about going to a place here where folks went for a tummy
6: tuck, two
7: are now dead.
6: You know what, Roland, let me tell you something. You have people that always go to Mexico for different surgery procedures, as well as veneers, as well as uh, gastric bypass and things of that such. And normally what they would do, they'll have them to where they would travel, um with an actual medical bus that would take them to the medical hospital then also take them to, for them to get their medical procedure. But what happened on that specific video was horrid, and it was horrific. Uh, That video pretty much pushed me over the edge to the fact where I don't even want to go to Mexico, okay? Because, one, what I'm interested in at this point right now, what is it that the U.S. is going to do what type of plan do they have in place to retrieve our brothers and sisters? Also, I would like to know which civil rights organization or what civil rights organizations they are going to come into play to also work in congruence with the United States government to retrieve our brothers and sisters. Also, I was told, um, allegedly, they they were targeted as uh, Haitian drug lords. So... This is interesting, it is scary, and then it's close to home. Uh, Look,
7: this is real simple, uh, Mustafa. You don't know what you're walking into when you go into a foreign country. You don't know who's controlling what area. I mean, we talk about there being gang control areas in the United States. We're talking about in a place where, yes, where folks are killed. They are beheaded. So is a tummy tuck worth your life?
9: Yeah, you got to make some hard decisions. It really shouldn't be that hard about saving a little longer and getting the procedure done here. There are numbers that about 300,000 people leave our country every year to go seek uh, medical uh, treatment, um, whether it is for plastic surgery or other things uh, each year. And I've worked in Mexico on the border. Uh, I've been to Mexico City, a number of locations. It is not a place to play around. If you don't speak Spanish, and even if you do, you can find yourself in a really tough situation very quickly, because there are a lot of folks who get kidnapped um, and held for ransom. Um, and uh, unfortunately, we now we have these two of the four who lost their lives. So folks need to think really hard uh, before deciding to go to Mexico or other countries that are unstable. You gotta remember that the cartels really play a significant role in running government there when you really understand from Uh, from a a foreign, uh, you know, process of what's really happening in that space.
7: Uh, Bottom line here, Larry, uh, I will caution anybody, especially any African-American, it is not worth your life to travel uh, to Mexico for any type of surgery whatsoever. You had better be paying attention to the State Department, their travel advisors, know where to go, where not to go. uh, And it's just, again, uh, it it can be very dangerous. And yes, you can lose your life. Uh, in one of these areas.
10: So first, I want to send my condolences to the two individuals that lost their lives. Um, and so, Roland, you highlighted a point I, I think is I want to make, and people to understand who are watching the program. People, if you're going out a country, you need to check the State Department website in terms of any updates. Um, and often, like the State Department, put out these warnings for countries, like you said, that you should not travel to. But secondly, travel into uh, Mexico or, like you say, any other country for cosmetic surgery. It's not worth it, particularly, like I said. We all the challenges along the, you know, the, the along the border, and it's so like my colleague described in Mexico City and some other places. You have to be careful, uh, and as uh, uh, Brother Mustafa said, if you if you speak the language, you still might find yourself in dire straits. So we need to make sure we use common sense here. And if certainly they the individuals were warned, if it was somebody in my family, I would tell them this is not in your best interest to go to get cosmetic surgery, and particularly, like I said, Mexico but it costs two individuals their lives. Two other individuals are permanently scarred, and then the family members have to deal with this tragedy for the rest of their lives. Uh,
7: indeed, so certainly our condolences. Uh, but folks, do, do not put your life, uh, don't play Russian roulette with your life uh, if you're running out trying to get uh, one of these surgeries. I mean, this should this should be cautious a, a, a caution flag to anybody Uh, who is uh, thinking about uh, this very issue and so uh, again it is a huge problem we talk about people traveling places uh, for uh, medical procedures uh, we'll we'll discuss that next right here on roller martin unfiltered on the black star network
8: on the next a balanced life with me dr jackie just who do you think you are And maybe more importantly, who is it that you think you're trying to please? The answer to that second question is really wrapped up in the first. Think about that. Being the true, authentic you, no matter the circumstance.
11: But we learn the art of forgiveness, not only of forgiving one another, but forgiving ourselves. And we also learn how to love ourselves so that we can love each other.
8: That's next on A Balanced Life, here on Black Star Network.
12: next on The Black Table with me, Greg Carr. We feature the brand-new work of Professor Angie Porter, which, simply put, is a revolutionary reframing of the African experience in this country. It's the one legal article everyone, and I mean everyone, should read Professor Porter and Dr. Valethia Watkins, our legal roundtable team, join us to explore the paper that I guarantee is going to prompt a major aha moment in our culture.
13: You crystallize it by saying, who are we to other people? Who are African people to others? Governance is our thing. Who are we to each other? the structures we create for ourselves, how we order the universe as African people.
12: That's next on The Black tape here on the Black Star Network.
13: I'm Jebra Owens, America's wealth coach, and my new show, Get Wealthy, focuses on the things that your financial advisor and bank isn't telling you, but you absolutely need to know. So watch Get Wealthy on the Black Star Network.
14: Hi, I'm Gavin
15: Houston.
7: Hi, I'm Carl Payne. Hey what's up, y'all this your boy Jacob Lattimore, and you're not watching Roland Martin right now. <laughs> Nations Beyond Borders, an organization that helps find medical care in other countries, says up to a million U.S. citizens travel each year for medical procedures. Uh, in other countries. For Americans, Mexico is the most popular destination. Patients can save up to 70% on procedures. Joining me now from Baltimore, Natasha Murphy, the Director of Public Health at Center for American Progress. Uh, Glad to have you on the show. Really, Natasha, what this points to is a fundamental problem with the American healthcare system when people are forced to travel to other countries to get medical procedures.
1: Yes, and thank you so much for having me, Roland. Truly a pleasure to join you and your viewers tonight. As you mentioned, you have Americans who are traveling in droves to foreign nations to seek health care services. And the primary driver behind that is the cost of services here in the U.S. So you have individuals who are uninsured, underinsured, or even those with insurance who know that to seek more affordable care, they have to leave our nation's borders and visit countries like Mexico and Costa Rica to get the health care services that they need.
7: Um, and uh, and as I said, I mean, we're talking about just all types of procedures, and we're not talking about like Canada. I mean, again, I, I know somebody who went to Turkey for veneers. Yes.
1: And it, like you said, Roland, it is a mix of elective procedures, necessary procedures, as well as some of the cosmetic work. People are willing to travel the hundreds of thousands of miles to seek care that is more affordable because they know that they can't afford it here in the U.S.
7: And so when we talk about uh, what are some of the other countries we're talking about beyond Mexico?
1: Sure. So, one of the most popular destinations in addition to Mexico are places like Costa Rica. You also have areas like Thailand and India. And these are some countries that, due to just the dynamics of their health care landscape, you know, their governments have play a more active role in negotiating prices and negotiating for uh, more affordable elements like prescription drugs. And as a result, their health care costs are significantly lower. And that really is enticing Americans to cross borders to seek care?
7: So uh, from, from, a, uh, I mean, from a congressional standpoint, um, state standpoint, is anyone trying to do anything about this? Uh, because obviously, uh, we've heard these, these folks were too, too lost their lives. Other people have actually died getting various procedures in other countries because you don't have the same standards that you do here in the United States.
1: Absolutely. Oftentimes, the cost of medical tourism can be your life, which is much higher a price than necessary. And so our lawmakers at the federal and state level do recognize that affordability is a primary concern for their residents and for their voters. And so potentially impactful reforms that have been explored at the federal and state level include policies and bills that would limit surprise medical billing and prevent some of the severe medical debt that we've seen in this country And in addition, there's been a huge push to advance transparency requirements that would inform residents and consumers up front about the costs of their health care services before they seek them. And that's been incredibly impactful in just providing people with the information that they need to know ahead of time. And then finally, it is critical that we expand access to affordable and comprehensive health coverage. Individuals should have access to insurance that they can afford and that covers the litany of health services
7: that they need. All right. Natasha Murphy with Center for American Progress. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Folks, uh, on Friday, President Joe Biden recognized an African-American member of the military uh, whose paperwork had been lost. Well, we know how that goes. Uh, in fact, they denied opportunities for many African-Americans to receive uh, the nation's highest award. Uh, Paris Davis, a retired colonel, United States Army, uh, again was uh, recognized for conspicuous uh, gallantry. Uh, this was a ceremony uh, that took place on Friday.
16: My fingers for battle. He is my loving God and my fortress, my stronghold, my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me as we mark this very special occasion in prayer. Almighty God, author of liberty and champion of the oppressed, I praise you for the life, heroic leadership, and distinctive service of your humble servant, Colonel Retired Paris D. Davis. Our Army has always counted on our leaders to be fully committed to our nation's ideals, to our Army values, and to all the soldiers under their command. Colonel Davis is a warrior leader who demonstrated what it looks like under the most challenging of conditions. We are humbled and inspired by Colonel Davis's example in the moments that mattered most to those with him from the operational detachment Alpha 321 5th Special Forces Group Airborne and the Army of the Republic of Vietnam 883rd Regional Force Company with him on that day of battle in 1965. Your servant displayed uncommon fortitude and courage and the willingness to sacrifice his own life to save others. The men under his charge looked to him for leadership and by your strength he delivered. As Colonel Davis rightly receives our nation's highest military award for valor and action, for distinguishing himself by acts of gallantry above and beyond the call of duty, I humbly ask that his legacy not be defined by this moment or the receiving of this medal, but may the legacy of this medal and the rich history it bears be further evidenced and enriched by the character, selflessness, and heroism of Colonel Davis. And may his life, which has been marked by a commitment to you and a sacred commitment to all that freedom-loving people cherish and hold dear, serve as a continued beacon of inspiration for all who witness today's activities and learn of his courageous actions under fire. Finally, may this ceremony serve as a testament of hope for the world's oppressed and as a terrible warning to the oppressor because our nation still has men and women like Colonel Davis in our ranks, across our military services, who stand ready to step into the breach. We thank you, O Lord, for this reality, it is in your most holy name I pray, amen. Amen.
15: Please, Please be seated. I have to say, at the outset, I've had the great honor and we have other Medal of Honor recipients here and uh, that I've been able to give one of those medals. And uh, we have five here. But uh, this, uh, Secretary, may be the most consequential day since I've been President. He's an incredible man. I, uh, 158 years ago today, the white, in this White House, President Lincoln was putting the final touches on his second inaugural address. And he wrote, let us strive to finish the work we're in to bind up the nation's wounds and care for him who shall have borne the battle. Today, 58 years after he bore the battle, we honor a true hero of our nation, Colonel Paris Davis. I've had a chance to get to talk to him a little bit. We talked on the phone and He doesn't know, but we're going to talk a lot more. (laughs) Incredible guy. The Medal of Honor, created during Lincoln's presidency, is our country's highest military award, recognizing gallantry above and beyond the call of duty. That word, gallantry, it's not much used these days. Gallantry. But I can think of no better word to describe Paris, to describe you. I really can't gallantry. And everyone here feels exactly the same way. That includes Secretary Austin and Secretary McDonough and Secretary of the Army of and the Vice Chairman Grady and, and General Mc, Mc, McConville, Representative Beyer. Where's Representative Beyer? Thank you. Thank you for pushing this a little bit. Appreciate it. For joining us. A lot of these corporations
14: or people that are running stuff, push black people if they're doing a certain thing. What that does is it creates a butterfly effect of any young kid who, you know, wants to leave any situation they're in, and the only people they see are people that are doing this, so I gotta be a gangster, I gotta shoot, I gotta sell, I gotta do this in order to do it. And it just becomes a cycle, but when someone comes around is making other oh money, we don't you know, they don't want to push it or put money into it. So that's definitely something I'm trying to fix too, is you show up those other avenues. You don't gotta be a rapper, you don't gotta be a ball player, you can be a country singer, you can be an opera singer, you can be a damn whatever, you know? Showing the, the different avenues and that is possible and it's hard for people to realize it's possible until someone does
13: the next Get Wealthy with me, Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach. The wealth gap has literally not changed in over 50 years, according to the Federal Reserve. On the next Get Wealthy, I'm excited to chat with Jim Castleberry, CEO of Known Holdings. They have created a platform an ecosystem to bring resources to Blacks and people of color so they can scale their business.
17: Even though we've had several examples of um, African-Americans and other people of color being able to be successful, we still
13: aren't seeing the mass level of us being lifted up. That's right here on Get Wealthy, only on Black Star
18: Network. Yo, it's your man, Dion Cole, from Blackish, and you're watching... Roland
1: Martin, Unfiltered.
18: Stay woke.
16: Today.
15: Now, as many of you know, Paris will be the first to tell you that he hates the word I, that it was his team who served and his team who sacrificed. So today, I'm truly honored to welcome one of those teammates, Ron Dice. Dice, where's Ron? Ron... He was the airborne spotter for that team. And uh, it was only a few days ago, right? <laughs> I also want to thank previous Medal of Honor recipients who are here who joined us to recognize uh, their brother-in-arms, Leroy Petrie, William Swenson, Melvin Morris, Matthew Williams, and Earl Pumley. Stand up, guys. courage in the flesh. And finally, uh, Reagan, Stephanie, Paris, uh, you already know this, but uh, your dad was a hero, but he didn't have to win this medal for you to know that. You knew it all along. You really did, didn't you, when you were a kid? You knew growing up. And, uh, you know, and like you, I wish your brother Christopher was still with us to see your dad's final re- finally recognize his story. You know, it's a story that didn't just begin in the, Vietne- the Vietnamese village 58 years ago. Instead, picture Paris in 1956, the son of a Midwestern foundry worker, starting his uh, first year at Southern University in the heart of Louisiana. The college football team quickly noticed that Paris had the grit and the guts and needed on the team. So, before long, Paris not only joined the team, but he was named All-American before us. He's a very slow learner, this guy. <laughs> I tell you what. But off the field, Paris saw constant reminders that too many, too many, he was less than an American and that, in the eyes of the law, he was less than a person. Signs on bars that read, Whites Only, seats on buses where were off-limits for African Americans, schools, streets, shops divided by segregation. Paris endured all of this and still chose to join his college ROTC unit volunteering to serve a country that, in many places, still refused to serve people who looked like him. Right away, it was clear that Paris was a born warrior. He became an Army Ranger. Then he jumped at the chance to join the Green Berets, becoming one of the nation's first Black Special Forces officers. Paris linked the, liked the Green Berets because uh, they were elite. It wasn't just as Paris once said, Joe here, Joe there, but it didn't offend me. You said Joe here, Joe there. <laughs> you know what I mean? that, that, that didn't bother me. But, but the Green Berets, like our country then, weren't free from discrimination either. People pulled Paris aside to warn him. Are you sure you want to join? There aren't a lot of people like you who look like you in this outfit. Well, remember, this was only 14 years after President Truman desegregated our military only 14 years later. But Paris didn't listen to them. And thank God he didn't. Paris helped write the history of our nation. And this year, we celebrate the 75th anniversary of our first fully integrated armed forces and named Paris Davis will still stand alongside the nation's pioneering heroes. You know, in the early hours of June 18th, 1965, and his uh, captain, then Captain Davis and his team With three of the Green Berets were wrapping up a job well done. And together, they just finished a 10-mile march through the night to support a company of South Vietnamese soldiers on their first combat mission, a raid against the Viet Cong, thick in the jungle of Bong Song. The raid was a success. But as the sun began to rise, the men heard that haunting sound ring out. A bugle. A bugle. A sure sign of a counterattack. Within minutes, the jungle lit up with enemy fire. Hundreds of Viet Cong began to swarm Captain Davis and his team, pinning them down in a rice paddy with no cover. Captain Davis rallied his team to fight back, getting so close to the enemy, he was battling them hand to hand. Hours — this is the part that stuns me — hours into that fight, Captain heard — suddenly heard a sound worse than the bugle his teammate crying out for help. His team sergeant had been shot badly in his foot and his leg, trapping him in the middle of the paddy. And it got worse. On the far side of the field, his weapons specialist was stuck in a cesspit after being temporarily knocked out by shrapnel. You know, and even further beyond him was his medic who had been shot in the head. Captain Davis realized he was the last American standing. Without hesitation, he yelled, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. He called in friendly fire and gave a little bit of cover to run out and rescue his team. On his first attempt to get to team sergeant, Captain Davis was shot in the arm and had to turn back. Captain Davis waited for another window and sprinted back out again. But his team sergeant was stuck Captain Davis couldn't fully break him free before he had returned to cover. He didn't give up, though. That's not the Green Beret way. For his third time, as enemy fire rained down him, he ran out. Captain Davis freed his team sergeant, threw him over his shoulder, and started carrying up the hill to safety. Captain Davis got about halfway up the hill before a bullet pierced his leg. Then, in front of him, another Green Beret sergeant, who had just arrived, To the battle to reinforce the team, was shot in the chest and now needed to be rescued as well. Captain Davis limped up the hill with his team sergeant on his shoulder. He'd been fighting for around 10 hours, but Captain Davis didn't hesitate. He went back down the hill to retrieve the reinforcement who had been just shot in the chest, all 240 pounds of him. Next, Captain Davis ran to his weapons specialist, who was struck in that cesspit. Viet Cong fighters continued to spray gunfire across the field as Captain Davis threw his teammate a rope, pulled him out, and began to haul him up the hill as well. But this time, the rescue helicopter — by this time, the rescue helicopter had landed. Captain Davis' commander gave him a direct order, get on board. Davis' response was just as direct. Sir, he said, I'm just not going to leave. I still have an American out there. Unsure if he was still alive, Captain Davis began to plan how he would get his medic. Just the day before, the medic had found out he was the good news. He was a new father. His wife had given birth to the first child. Captain Davis was going to give him a chance to see his baby boy. He pinpointed the medic's position and began crawling toward him with gunfire and grenades still exploding around him. When he got there, The medic, still alive, asked him, Am I going to die? Am I going to die? Captain Davis shouted, Not before me. Still fending off the Vietcom assailants, Captain Davis hauled his medic up the hill. And nearly 20 hours, nearly 20 hours later, after that bugle first rang, Captain Davis had saved each one of his fellow Americans. Every single one. Just as the story of Paris Davis did not begin in June 18, 1965, it does not end there either. Captain Davis went on to become Colonel Davis, serving more than 25 years in our military and earning a Ph.D. on top of that. He received the Civil Star, the Bronze Star, the Air Medal, the Purple Heart. And even after he hung up his uniform, captain continued to serve the community, founding the Metro Herald, a newspaper that focused on his local community and civil rights issues. I wish I could say that this story of Paris' sacrifice on that day in, 19- in 1965 was fully recognized and rewarded immediately. But sadly we know w- they weren't. At the time Captain Davis returned from war, the country was still battling segregation. Returned from Vietnam, Vietnam to experience some of his fellow soldiers crossing the other side of the street when they saw him in America and although the men who were with him on June day immediately nominated Captain Davis to receive the Medal of Honor, somehow the paper- the paperwork was never processed. Not just once, but twice. But you know what Captain Davis said after learning he would finally receive the Medal of Honor? Quote, America was behind me. America was behind me. He never lost faith which I find astounding. He never stopped believing in the founding vision of our nation, a vision that Lincoln kept alive 158 years ago, and a vision Paris fought to defend 58 years ago. This vision for a more perfect union, one where all women and men are created equal. You know, we're the most unique nation in the world. We're the only nation founded on an idea. Every other nation is founded based on a philosophy, based on ethnicity, religion, whatever, an idea. It's captured in, we hold these truths to be self evident that all men and women are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, life, liberty. We've never fully lived up to it, but we've never walked away from it. This is evidence we're still not going to walk away from it. Look, folks. We never, ever walked away from our troops who dare all and give all to our nation. Paris, you are everything this medal means. I mean everything this medal means. And look, you're everything our generation aspired to be.
19: I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico,
8: Or everything our nation. Horrific scene. A white nationalist rally that descended into deadly
7: violence.
3: Soil. You will not white people
7: soil. are losing their damn minds
3: impacted by the culture. Whether we know it or not, from politics to music and entertainment, it's a huge part of our lives, and we're going to talk about it every day right here on The Culture with me, Faraji Muhammad, only on the Black Star Network. What's up, y'all? I'm Will Packard. Hello, I'm Bishop T.D.J. What
7: up? Lana Well, and you are watching Rolling Martin Unfiltered.
15: Best. Brave and big hearted, determined and devoted, selfless and steadfast, American, American. And now at long last, it's my great honor to ask Lieutenant Colonel Rowe to read the citation.
21: The President of the United States of America, authorized by Act of Congress March 3, 1863, has awarded in the name of Congress the Medal of Honor to Captain Paris D. Davis, United States Army, for conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity at the risk of his own life above and beyond the call of duty. Captain Paris D. Davis, Commander, Detachment A321, 5th Special Forces Group, Airborne, 1st Special Forces, distinguished himself by acts of gallantry and intrepidity above and beyond the call of duty while serving as an advisor to the 883rd Regional Force Company, Army of the Republic of Vietnam, during combat operations against an armed enemy in the vicinity of Bong Song, Republic of Vietnam, on June 17th through 18th, 1965. Captain Davis and three other U.S. Special Forces advisors accompanied the Vietnamese 883rd Regional Force Company, on its first combat mission, a daring nighttime raid against a Viet Cong regional headquarters housing a superior enemy force. Captain Davis' advice and leadership allowed the company to gain the tactical advantage, allowing it to surprise the unsuspecting enemy force and kill approximately 100 enemy soldiers. While returning from the successful raid, the regional force company was ambushed and sustained several casualties. Captain Davis consistently exposed himself to the hostile small arms fire to rally the inexperienced and disorganized company. He expertly directed both artillery and small arms fire, enabling other elements of the company to reach his position. Although wounded in the leg, he aided in the evacuation of other wounded men in his unit, but refused medical evacuation himself. Following the arrival of air support, Captain Davis directed artillery fire within 30 meters of his own position in an attempt to halt the enemy's advance. Then, with complete disregard for his own life, he braved intense enemy fire to cross an open field to rescue his seriously wounded and immobilized team sergeant. While carrying the sergeant up a hill to a position of relative safety, Captain Davis was again wounded by enemy fire. Despite two painful wounds, Captain Davis again refused medical evacuation remained with the troops, fought bravely, and provided pivotal leadership and inspiration to the regional force company as it repelled several Viet Cong assaults on their position over a period of several hours. When friendly reinforcements finally arrived, Captain Davis again refused medical evacuation until he had recovered an Air- U.S. advisor under his command who had been wounded during the initial ambush and presumed dead. While personally recovering the wounded soldier, He found him severely wounded, but still clinging to life. Captain Davis directed the helicopter extraction of his wounded colleague, not leaving the battlefield himself until after all friendly forces were recovered or medically evacuated. Captain Davis' heroism and selflessness, above and beyond the call of duty at the risk of his own life, are in keeping with the highest traditions of military service and reflect great credit upon himself, his unit, and the United States Army.
7: Staff wanted to show that full ceremony not only because uh, he is our Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity brother, uh, but also because, uh, look at this, uh, go to my iPad, please. This is what is shameful, Larry. He was immediately recommended for the Medal of Honor, but the paperwork was lost twice. This man is 83 years old. He could have he, he become an ancestor and never gotten this recognition. And and this is the reality of the racism that we face. And and the reality is there there have been a couple of others that President Biden has honored that have been, that that, that were delayed in receiving the highest honor because of racism in the US military.
10: Yeah, you know, it's interesting because when listening to this story and I had a chance to watch it live, is I'm reminded of all these movies that I see, all these military movies I see but many of them don't depict these kind of experiences for African-Americans that risked their lives multiple times on the battlefront and saved the lives of their comrades. And, and Roland, you're right. It, it, it's tragic this, that you, when we talk about this history you know, history of racism and then all of you know, our family and friends who've served and in in honorably served in the U.S. military, this particular uh, story is tragic, as you said, he could have very well have been, not been honored why he was still among us. So I'm glad, uh, you know, um, give a shout out to President Biden in the White House for honoring him. It's decades too late. And unfortunately, this is a story we hear too many times in terms of African-Americans that have um, fought for this country and been brave in, in terms of in, the level of, of bravery, but not be recognized at that time. So hopefully that we're hoping the military has evolved and changed over the years. And congratulations to the colonel, uh, well deserved. And as you said, I'm proud. It makes me proud to be an Alpha man.
7: Uh, It's just, it's just again, here you are, an African American, Mustafa. You give your, you you literally put your life on the line, and racists still don't give a damn and deny this man sixty plus years his rightful honor.
9: Yeah, it's amazing the things that black soldiers have had to go through. And, you know, first of all, it is an honor that he was finally recognized for his service and dedication to our country. You know, it's interesting when you look at how many people have received the Medal of Honor, there have been 3,516, and out of those, only 95 have been african American. Um. So when you look at the percentage of the folks from our communities who have actually won the award, it's about 3 percent, even though we know that we show up in huge numbers uh, to defend our country. Um, I grew up, my stepfather actually was shot twice in Vietnam and never received the Purple Heart or any other medals uh, for his service. So I know that, you know, it is still real that there are men who are out there um, who have never been recognized for their dedication to our country. But I want to thank President Biden for trying to do what he can uh, to rectify, um, you know, the disproportionality that comes with honoring our veterans, our Black veterans.
7: Candace, go ahead.
6: Okay, and you know what, I'm just gonna say this. Kudos to President Biden for doing what's right. I really appreciate that. But I'm also saddened because racism has raised its ugly head once again because uh, Captain Paris was supposed to be got this award, and then all of a sudden you saying that they lost the paperwork twice? We know that's a damn lie. You didn't want to give this man an award who defended his country over a country who don't give a damn about him. And I'm just going to be straight up about it. But at the end of the day, I'm glad that he was able to get it, Because at the end of the day, he can rest well knowing that his work wasn't done in vain.
7: Absolutely. Um, Folks, this is, uh, again, it it boggles the mind, but it really doesn't. And and when you listen to these people out here who act as if, oh, systematic racism doesn't, doesn't apply. Think about it. To Mustafa's point, how many other soldiers who have made the ultimate sacrifice have never been honored? Yes, there's a black Secretary of Defense and retired four-star General Lloyd Austin. But the fact of the matter is, this is what we see and deal with on a constant basis. African Americans not getting their just due. Not just in the military, but in many other places as well. This is the story of black people in this country. And so when you listen to folks like Governor Ron DeSantis and they don't like telling black history, when you look at their attacks on critical race theory, their attacks on books by black authors, their attacks on African-American studies programs, it is because this is the America they want to deny. They love to paint this picture. That everything is wonderful, that America is the greatest country the world has ever seen, that all these things that y'all talk about, why can't y'all just let that stuff go? Well, if we did, Colonel Paris doesn't get honored. If we did, numerous other African Americans all across this country who have done things in cities and states and towns and locales, would never get honored. In Atlanta, they're going to be, uh, they're going to be uh, unveiling a statue to Zerona Clayton. Good, well-deserved. And there are so many other African-Americans who deserve to be honored. Yet we have a country that gladly will defend, or really, a party, an ideology, largely white conservatives, that will, who will gladly defend Confederate statues. I told you when I was in Texas, the monument that's there, dedicated to white domestic terrorists, a massive monument. This is the stuff that we have to deal with in this country. And so when someone says, oh, you should just forget those things, you should say, no, we can't. Because if we did, the Colonel Parrises would never get their just due will never get their respect and their honor. Which it's also why the next generation can't be as callous and, dis, and just have disregard to what happened before. What well, we must understand is our responsibility as the current generation to ensure the next generation understands that the fight continues. Bernard Shaw, the late anchor at CNN. I remember when I called him and I said I, we wanted, I wanted to use this clip when he was critical of white men in newsrooms. And he said, Roland, every generation has its turn. It's now your turn. Meaning, as African Americans, our job is to ensure that we are fighting on behalf of those heroes and sheroes who have been ignored, who folks want history to simply forget, who want us to somehow act as if their heroism is not deserving of public praise. It is our job. And we must continue to fight for them every step of the way. And so if you're sitting there watching and you say, this is performative. This doesn't impact us whatsoever. Tell that to the families of the men that he saved. Tell that to his family because now his Children's children's children will be able to say that our father, our great-grandfather, our great-great-grandfather, our great-great-grandfather was honored with the nation's highest honor, that in the face of racism and bigotry, he still cared enough about his fellow soldier. That is the story of black people
17: I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at Chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family.
5: VDW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
2: Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Haya. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home. Of action sports, and find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeart Radio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. In America,
7: and yes, Black History is American history, whether the races today want to admit it or not. Folks, be sure to download the Black Star Network app, Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV. Also support us in what we do. Your dollars make it possible to do this show every single day. And trust me, uh, it is not uh, a cheap endeavor when it comes to the studio. When it comes to the staff, our studio alone costs $15,500 a month. When it comes to our staff, uh, you may think these uh, costs are no big deal, but trust me, uh, when we spend more than $3,000 a month, even uh, on fiber optic lines, to be able to broadcast this show. That's what it takes. Uh, our monthly expenses are about $185,000. And so when you see uh, this show, when you see the Black Star Network, that's what it costs, so your dollars matter. Send so your check checking money orders to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037-0196. Cash App, dollar sign RM Unfiltered, PayPal R Martin Unfiltered, Venmo RM Unfiltered, Zale Roland at Martin.com, Roland at Unfiltered.com. We'll be right back
12: Pull up a chair, take your seat. At the Black Tape with me, Dr. Greg Carr, here on the Black Star Network. Every week, we'll take a deeper dive into the world we're living in. Join the conversation only on the Black Star Network. When you
7: talk about blackness and what happens in black culture, we're about covering these things that matter to us, uh, speaking to our issues and concerns.
13: This is a genuine, people-powered movement. There's
12: a lot of stuff that we're not getting. You get it, and you spread the word. We wish to plead our own cause
7: 0196. The cash app is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is RM Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zell is Roland at RolandSMartin.com. This is Judge Math. What's going on
9: everybody? It's your boy Mac Wiles, and you are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. <laughs>
7: I don't even know why we continue to call Fox News Fox News. They are not a news organization. They are an absolute propaganda machine. Now, if you want any further evidence, last night, uh, white nationalist Tucker Carlson literally, literally, uh,
4: said this about what took place on January 6th. Three weeks ago, thanks to the new Republican Speaker's office, we gained access to thousands of hours of surveillance video that helped answer that question. The January 6th committee had access to this very same tape and watched much of it, but as we're about to show you, committee members lied about what they saw and then hid the evidence from the public as well as from January 6th criminal defendants and their lawyers. That is unforgivable. Whatever you think of Speaker Kevin McCarthy, he rectified that crime, and we are grateful that he did. Before we show you the tape, a few words on the process. Our producers had unfettered access to the Capitol surveillance video. Neither the speaker's office nor our bosses at Fox News interfered in any way with our investigation. Of the 40,000 or so hours of tape, most of it turned out to be irrelevant. Static shots of empty rooms, in some cases far from the Capitol itself. To find relevant videotape, our producers were given use of Capitol computers with advanced mapping software. That made it easy to find what we were looking for. What we didn't have was access to facial recognition software, and that was significant. For more than two years, we have wondered why some in the crowd that day who seemed to be inciting violence were never indicted for it. We assumed these were federal agents of some sort. We still assume that. And in fact, there were many examples of behavior we saw in those tapes that didn't seem to make sense.
7: Y'all, this fool literally said folks were just taking tours. They were just walking through the Capitol, no big deal. There was no violence. (laughs) Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer had the same expression that I have right now. And he said this today on the floor of the Senate. Mr. President,
18: last night, millions of Americans tuned in to one of the most shameful hours we have ever seen on cable television. With contempt for the facts, of the risks, and knowing full well he was lying, lying to his audience, Fox News host Tucker Carlson ran a lengthy segment last night arguing the January 6th Capitol attack was not a violent insurrection. By diving deep into the waters of conspiracy and cherry-picking from thousands of hours of security footage, Mr. Carlson told the bold-faced lie that the Capitol attack, which we all saw with our own eyes, was somehow not an attack at all. He tried to argue it was nothing more than a peaceful sightseeing tour. Can you imagine? A nonviolent demonstration, a perfectly fine and appropriate instance of people expressing their opinion. I, so many others who were here in the Capitol, and millions and millions of Americans are just furious with Tucker Carlson and Kevin McCarthy today. Many of my staff were here at the Capitol on January 6th. Their lives were put in danger, as were the lives of many of my colleagues, as well as police, maintenance staff, reporters, countless others. At one point, I was within 30 feet of the rioters. One of them I was told shouted out, let's get him before my detail pulled me away, and we ran in the other direction. To say January 6th was not violent is a lie, a lie pure and simple. I don't think I've ever seen a primetime cable news anchor manipulate his viewers the way Mr. Carlson did last night. I don't think I've ever seen an anchor treat the American people and American democracy with such disdain. And he's going to come back tonight with another segment. Fox News should tell him not to. Fox News, Rupert Murdoch, tell Carlson not to run a second segment of lies. You know it's a lie. You've admitted it's a lie. And Speaker McCarthy is every bit as culpable as Mr. Carlson. Speaker McCarthy's decision To share security footage with Fox looked like a mistake from the very beginning, but after last night, it looks like a disaster. Speaker McCarthy has played a treacherous, a treacherous game by catering to the hard right. He's enabled the big lie and has further eroded away at our precious democracy. When people don't believe elections are on the level, That's the beginning of the end of this bold experiment in democracy that has gone on for more than 200 years. It's all the more shameful because Speaker McCarthy knows precisely what kind of customer Mr. Carlson is. He's not surprised by this outcome. What a low point for Speaker McCarthy. What a low point for Fox News. As reporting on the Dominion lawsuit shows, Mr. Carlson had no problem admitting behind the scenes that the big lie is pure garbage. When Sidney Powell went on the air to push the stolen election narrative, Mr. Carlson told fellow anchor anchor Laura Ingram that Sidney Powell is lying. His words by the deposition. Mr. Carlson's own producer texted him that, quote, I don't think there is evidence of voter fraud that swung the election. They know They know full well they've been lying. And they're doing it anyway. We all, Americans of all types and stripes and corners of this country, Democrats, Republicans, independents, need to take a stand and call out Mr. Carlson's conduct for what it is, a dangerous, unforgivable attempt to destabilize our democracy and rewrite the history of the worst attack on our Constitution since the Civil War. It's an insult to every police officer who was on the scene that terrible, fearful day. It's an insult to the memory of every single person who perished in connection to the attack, especially to the memory of Brian Sicknick. Nonviolent? Ask the Sicknick family. It makes me sick just thinking about what his family must be going through this morning. And it's an insult to everyone who cares about our democracy and wishes to preserve the dream of our founders in our day, in our age. I hope every member of this chamber will call out Fox and Mr. Carlson for defending the insurrectionists. And again, I am disappointed and angered in Speaker McCarthy's decision to share sensitive security footage with Mr. Carlson. Speaker McCarthy was here that day He knows what actually happened. His staff and members suffered like everyone else, but he chose cheap political expediency over truth and preservation of democracy. I condemn Mr. Carlson for siding with the enemies of democracy. I strongly condemn Speaker McCarthy's actions and fiercely oppose his decision to share this footage with Carlson. I urge Fox News, To order Carlson to cease propagating the big lie on his network and to level with their viewers about the truth, the truth behind the efforts to mislead the public. Conduct like theirs is just asking for another January 6th to happen.
7: Bottom line here, uh, Mustafa, we are dealing with uh, a shameful organization that purposely lies to people shame on Rupert Murdoch shame on Fox News CEO Suzanne Scott and every single one of the executives we now know they were afraid they were afraid of their audience for telling the truth and calling Arizona for for Joe Biden uh it, these people are despicable and you have no leadership to let this man Tucker Carlson go on a show and lie let me tell you something right now I got five shows on the Black Star Network if any host of mine on the Black Star Network did a show and purposely lied, I will tell them you're either going to apologize or you're fired.
19: I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico.
9: Yeah. And, you know, and that's the way that it has to be because folks can't have confidence in the information that's being shared uh, if we don't have that higher standard uh, that that folks who are are sharing important information have to live by. But we know that Fox News is all about erasure. It's about erasure of truth. It's about erasure of the impacts that are happening. Uh, it, It is about the erasure and then the rebuilding of narratives, if you will. Um, And we know that Tucker Carlson right now is doing a CYA uh, set of of actions because both Fox News and himself know uh, that they're in trouble with the Dominion case that's currently uh, going on. So we understand these dynamics. But we also got to ask the question, um, you know, where is the FCC and where are others in pushing? Well, 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 well,
7: well, first of all, the FCC has no jurisdiction uh, here because this is a cable network. They
9: only regulate broadcast. Yeah, that, that, that is correct. I guess it comes down to each and every one of us also making sure there's accountability. For those folks who are sponsors uh, on these shows that are pushing these false narratives, we got to make sure that we are not supporting them or we're reaching out to them and letting them know that we will no longer utilize our dollars with them if they continue uh, to support the, this misinformation that is continuing to be pumped because it is dangerous uh, and it does nothing to help our country. Um, so we have to realize that we also have power in this moment to play a role in the accountability um, that's necessary and keeping Fox News in check. Candace.
6: In my opinion, everybody, let's hold hands. Welcome to another petty episode of white people fighting each other, but don't but not but not gonna do anything to help black people. Okay, you can't save a republic until you end racism, okay? What happened on January the 6th was motivated by racism. It was a clear view of what racism looks like today. So just me seeing these white people going back and forth with each other, but y'all really don't have an interest in what you're going to do for black people. They better go find something. else to find you
7: something safe to do. The thing here, Larry, they want to tell a different story. They, are, they literally want to tell all of their, their millions watching, hey, there was no violence. It was sightseeing. I mean, Tucker Carlson is a flat-out liar. So is Sean Hannity. So is Laura Ingram. And if Rupert Murdoch, if you're Rupert Murdoch and you're Suzanne Scott, you are knowingly allowing one of your employees to completely lie about January 6th and you're lying to the audience and you defend that because, oh, they might go to Newsmax and elsewhere. This is a trash network.
10: So this conversation about, you know, what happened January 6th reminds me, it kind of parallels the same folks who believe the Confederacy was about states' rights, but states' rights to do what? (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, and it's almost like Roland. I feel like when I used to watch Roland, uh, wrestling on Saturday mornings back in the day when I was a kid, you know, I thought it was I thought it was real until someone told me it it was fake. You know, this 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 weird idea about what is reality and what is not is always so strange for me when it comes to Fox News. But they give folks the spoon feed the information based on their, their beliefs they would already have. Fox News will continue to have this tell these lies. We will continue to have problems when it comes to our democracy if we don't put it to an end. Now I don't know if we've talked, to, you know, people talk a lot about this lawsuit with Dominion, but the fact of the matter is that Fox has made billions of dollars off of, of all of these fabrications, these blatant lies. But it, once again, what does it cost? The cost is our own democracy, and sharing this footage also puts many members of Congress in danger because it also, you know, so these are this is this is a, this is a really tragic time in our country's history. The last thing I want to add, Rowan, is as a former congressional staffer with my boss, I've walked with him with a, with a badge on and tried to get to the U.S. Capitol and have Capitol Police officers stop me. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we mm-hmm. saw on January 6th what happened in terms of how they pulled back and let folks, you know, a lot of folks were able to get in the building, fight their way into the building. But the idea of that, how in terms of a country we just allow folks to get away with this and not, and many, some of us, some people in this country not willing to do anything about it is tragic. And once you say we need to put Fox News, so we have to put this to
7: an end. At the end of the day, folks, um, this is a lying network. They don't believe in truth. They don't believe in honesty. They will allow their people to go on the air, purposely lie in order to keep making money. When y'all see people come on this show, I people like, oh my God, Roland, you were too tough on uh, Philip. You were too tough on the sister was pro-life. This is very simple. I do, do not allow people to come on this show and lie. And if you lie, Republican, Democrat, black, white, don't matter, I'm going to stop you, I'm going to check you, and I'm going to gut you. Because what I cannot allow is for my audience, this is when you have respect for the audience, I cannot allow any person watching or listening to this show to hear something and go, well, Roland never said anything. He didn't push back, so therefore it must be true. In the case of Fox, and I'm not going to call them Fox News, In the case of Fox, Suzanne Scott, the CEO, Rupert Murdoch, Lachlan Murdoch, his son, they are purposely allowing their on-air talent to go on the air and lie to the public, to knowingly lie. They are sanctioning it because they want to keep making money. They do not want to lose conservative viewers to Newsmax or One America News or the rest of these other conservative outlets. When you sacrifice the truth, how dare you challenge anybody else when it comes to being honest and having an integrity? Fox News, uh, Fox News has literally no integrity, no morals, no values, no conviction. All they care about is money. And we must call it for what it is. Gotta go to break, when we come back, we'll talk black home ownership and what is being done to close the gap We've never had black home ownership above fifty percent. My next guest believe they can help make that happen. You're watching Roller Bart, Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Back in a moment.
14: A lot of these corporations or people that are running stuff push black people if they're doing a certain thing. What that does is it creates a butterfly effect of any young kid who, you know, wants to leave any situation they're in, and the only people they see are people that are doing this, so I gotta be a gangster, I gotta shoot, I gotta sell, I gotta do this in order to do it. And it just becomes a cycle, but when someone comes around and is making other, money, oh, we don't, you know, they don't want to push it or put money into it. So that's definitely something I'm trying to fix too. Is just show there's other avenues. You don't got to be rapper, You don't got to be a ball player. You can be a country singer. You can be an opera singer. You can be a damn whatever. You know, showing the, the different avenues and that is possible. And it's hard for people to realize it's possible until someone dies.
3: By the culture, whether we know it or not, from politics to music and entertainment, it's a huge part of our lives, and we're going to talk about it every day, right here on The Culture, with me, Faraji Muhammad, only on the Black Star Network.
8: On the next, A Balanced Life with me, Dr. Jackie, just who do you think you are? And maybe more importantly, who is it that you think you're trying to please? The answer to that second question is really wrapped up in the first. Think about that. Being the true, authentic you, no matter the circumstance.
11: But we learn the art of forgiveness, not only of forgiving one another, but forgiving ourselves. And we also learn how to love ourselves so that we can love each other. That's next
8: on A Balanced Life, here on Black Star Network.
2: Hi, everybody, this is Jonathan Nelson.
15: Hi, this is Cheryl Lee Ralph, and you are
11: watching Roland Martin, Unfiltered.
7: Folks, the black-white home ownership rate uh, in this country is at its widest gap in more than a decade. The national rate for home ownership is 65.5%. For African Americans, it is 44%. Uh, it has never actually exceeded 50%. And we've seen what has happened uh, since the Fair Housing Act of 1968. Uh, That number has actually dropped at one point to almost 40%. Uh, We lost a significant amount of wealth uh, during the uh, home foreclosure crisis from 2006 all the way through present day. Some 53% of black wealth was wiped out due to the home foreclosure crisis. And so we still right now are dealing with a massive housing crisis in this country because in 2010 to 2020, we had the fewest number of homes built in the United States since the 1930s. It was less than 10 million. We pretty much averaged uh, about 20 million homes being built per decade from 1940 through 2010 that was not the case with 2010 2020 uh, and so there's a black-owned firm that's trying to impact this Ashley Bell is the founder and CEO of ready life uh, and Montel Williams is a ready life advisor uh, Ashley's in LA Montel is in Miami glad to have both of you here so for folks who don't know uh, Ashley uh, you were on before uh, talking about this here so exactly uh, what is uh, ready life and how have y'all uh, had an impact on helping African-Americans get home ownership.
20: Well, thank you, Roland. It's good to be with you again. Uh, good to see you briefly in Salt Lake City at our brother Kenny's uh, event he had there. Um, just always good to be in conversations around uplifting our folks, and Ready Life is at the heart of helping us just rethink what we've been through. And when you think about credit scores, most people, Roland, are gonna sit here and say, you know, well, credit scores are the only way to get a mortgage. My, my credit is, is the barrier. But the reality is that credit scores weren't invented until 1981. There was a world without credit scores. They have not always been in our lives. But what we've seen with credit scores are that they've been a, a, the, the source of black mental health challenges, people feeling ashamed by these three digits, people feeling like these three digits control their entire life. And the reality is that we believe that you can qualify for a home by your rent payment primarily instead of your credit score. And so, look, in Atlanta, the average rent in Atlanta is $1,530. The average mortgage in Atlanta is $1,538. So there's an $8 difference between owning and renting. But the person who's renting is paying it every month, but they don't create the equity and create the wealth. That's what we're trying to
17: change.
7: Uh, Montel, what, what, what people have to understand Uh, We had all of these uh, banks complaining about uh, toxic assets. We all remember 2007, 2008 and that whole period. uh, When we bailed them out, shorted up their bottom lines, they held onto those homes, then sold them to private equity. So part of the reason why we're in a housing crunch today is because private equity owns so many homes, they're forcing people to rent. To Ashley's point, there are people who literally are paying more money to rent than it costs to actually have a mortgage. And uh, you would think that policymakers will be trying their best to make some changes to get folks to own because when people own, they actually have a different mentality about their street Their neighbor, their their street, their block, their neighborhood.
17: Absolutely right. I mean, and you just said policymakers have determined that maybe it's not time for us to be as equitable as we think we're trying to be as a nation. And what we're trying to do is make sure that they keep more people who have been marginalized keep us marginalized. But I think that that's where you got to give a big shout out to um, Ashley and to Ms. King for forming a group like this, which is going to allow so many more people to have a touch of that American dream or a bite at that American dream. Ashley,
7: what is your capacity? So first of all, um, for folks who don't understand how real life works, um, yeah. how, how, many, how many people are you hoping uh, to assist each year and, and explain exactly the process yeah. in terms of them you know, paying, uh, you know, how you are helping them actually own yeah. the home?
20: So, so here's what we do. Um, you can go to readylife.com. You can go on, your, on the Apple Store or Android Store right now. Download the Ready Life app. Um, our goal is to be where you bank with us. And so we underwrite you based off of data of how you spend. So take your credit score and replace that with, you know, you're buying gas, buying groceries, but most importantly, buying rent. How you manage cash flow is more important. If you pay your rent on time, you should be able to own a home. If your mortgage payment is equal to or less than your rent payment, we believe that you have the credit necessary to own a home. So we see you paying it because you do it through our app. You bank with us. We take that data, and then ultimately we'll be able to fund your mortgage between six and nine months of data. Now, for people with bad credit, it's too many people paying these companies $59.99 a month to do credit repair and get stuff removed off your credit report. We don't cost you anything. We just take the data that you're already using and use it to your advantage. And by doing that, we're able to process you for a loan. And it's going to be in areas uh, where there's CRA credits because the banks need to buy credits, Consumer Reinvestment Act credits. So we're able to ultimately take these loans, and we're still going to sell them back to the banks. The difference is we take a risk on people who are renters. And then once we prove that you can pay your, your mortgage, then the banks will come by the paper. But our job is to take the risk that they want.
7: How many folks you think you'll be helping your first year?
20: Um, you know, I, I think we'll get into a couple of thousand. I think we're gonna have some target markets where the market is good. I think, you know, if you look at um, you know, Atlanta, Houston, Dallas, Miami, uh places like that, the market is 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 not as bad. People are able to where rent and mortgages are the same. If you live in a city where rent and mortgages per square foot are the same, we're a good product for you. Um and I think that's where we're gonna focus.
7: Montel, this this is a much different way. Uh, of doing this. Uh, There's so much attention that's placed on a credit score And we and we look. We all know even how that game is played and how it's used against people. Uh, And and first of all, the the credit score game is just so stupid to me. Uh, Like for instance, they tell you, oh, to keep your credit score high, don't pay off your credit card. Well, hell, last I checked, if you didn't have debt, I would think you're the kind of person folk would want buying something. But it's like, but it's actually held against you. I mean, and then of course we have no idea how the algorithm was created. And then you got three major bureaus, and so. You might have a low score on one, mid to high on others, and then the people go, "Oh, we're going to use a low score." Well, what the hell? It's,
17: it's a it's a rigged game. It's absolutely ridiculous. You nailed it right on the top. It's a rigged game to make sure that people stay marginalized. This is something that you know. I mean, we got to start facing some facts here. You know, as as we look at America these days, we're looking at a nation that everybody's afraid of what black people may achieve or may not achieve, and we only represent right now 11 percent of this country. So that means that nine out of 10 people in this country are not black. So we really aren't an entity amass to be feared, but we are feared. And I'm glad the fact that we have Ready Life that's stepping in right now to say, you know what, we're ready to take not a chance, but we're ready to give you the opportunity that you need. And that's what's so important about the difference of what's going on here and with uh, you know credit scores and all this other garbage. Uh,
7: indeed. Uh, indeed. So, uh, Ashley, you said uh, probably a couple thousand this year. And so what is your five year plan? How many people you hope to have uh, involved uh, in assisting with Ready Life?
20: Yeah. So, you know, we would love for people to sign up now because our job is to show the banks that this is doable. So ultimately, the system is only going to work once we can prove to the banks what we already believe, that someone who pays their rent on time is going to pay their mortgage on time. So we're going to fund the first mortgages, and then eventually we're going to sell them to the banks. And once the banks realize that, hey, you're right, these renters are going to pay on time, then we'll open up an entirely new marketplace and we won't be the only ones doing it. You'll see what normally happens in America. Once you prove you can do something, everybody jumps in the game. But that's what we want. I want to have the competition. I want more people out here offering credit scrollers mortgages. Because to your point, there's the average age of the first black homeowner is 48 years old in this country. How are, you're 48 years old before you buy your first home if you're black in America. You sign a 30-year mortgage, but you die at 75, which means that your mortgage is still due and you still owe debt. By the time you die at 75, we're trying to take that down a decade. So not only do we want to get mortgages out the door, we want to make the mortgage borrower younger. So if you're out there right now you got a college student who's paying rent, they should be paying it through ready. Because the moment they get out of college and they get their first job, they can own a home at 28 instead of 48. That is how you create wealth. Get that starter home, sell it, roll it into another home. It's about 48, they're sitting on hundreds of thousands of dollars of equity so they can start a business, take care of their family, do whatever they need to do to take care of mom and dad. That can't happen if you're not buying a home until 48. we got to get the age younger. Share it with your yep. college students, with your, with your young people.
7: Uh, indeed, uh, because I, I bought my home in 1999. Let's say it was 122000 The last appraisal was appraised at 325000 Uh I paid it off in 2008. Uh, my parents uh, lived there. I had my sister and her daughter used to live there. So There were three generations of my family living in the house right. that was paid off. So they've been able uh, to live, uh, and their economics are impacted by not having to pay rent or pay a mortgage. So that's also how home ownership works. So even though I'm not there, uh, they still are able to benefit from it. That's how, again, we are able uh, to impact when we actually own as opposed to always being in a position to rent.
17: Uh, Ash... that appraisal that that you talked about you got to understand that right now in this day and age in America you know just because you are the owner your appraisal probably came in about 15 to 20 percent lower than someone who's comparable house in a white neighborhood.
7: Yep absolutely absolutely and trust me for the last four years they have been blowing up my phone with text messages and calls asking do I want to sell in cash and I'm like nope leave me the hell alone Uh, because mom and dad doing just fine there. Ashley Bell Montel Williams we surely appreciate it. Thanks a lot gentlemen. Thank Thanks you, so brother. All right, got to go to the break. We'll be back. Roller Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. YouTube, folks, hit that like button. We should easily be over 1,000 likes. Share button on Facebook. Same thing on our Black Star Network app. And don't forget, download our app. We're trying to get to 100,000 downloads real fast, folks. We've crossed the million threshold on YouTube. Let's have uh, a million downloads of the Black Star Network app. Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV. Watch us on Amazon Amazon News. Before you pull up Amazon Fire, you can see us streaming live 24 hours. If you have Alexa, all you gotta say is Alexa, play news from Black Star Network, and our content will be played right there. Don't forget support us in what we do as well. Your check and money orders go to PO Box 57196, Washington, D.C. 20037-0196. Cash App Dallas and RM Unfiltered, PayPal R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is R-M Unfiltered. Zale is rolling at RolandSMartin.com. Roland at RolandMartinUnfiltred.com. And don't forget to co- get a copy of my book, White Fear, How the Browning of America is Making White Folks Lose Their Minds. Get it at available bookstores. Download it on Audible. We'll be right back.
3: Folks, Black Star Network is east. Hold no punches. I'm a real uh, revolutionary right now.
15: <laughs> Support this man, Black Media. He makes sure that our stories are told. Uh,
6: thank you for being the voice
11: of
12: Black America, Roland. Hey Blake, I love y'all. All the momentum we have now
13: On next Get Wealthy, with me, Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach, the wealth gap has literally not changed in over 50 years, according to the Federal Reserve. On the next Get Wealthy, I'm excited to chat with Jim Castleberry, CEO of Known Holdings. They have created a platform, an ecosystem, to bring resources to Blacks and people of color. So they can scale their business.
17: Even though we've had several examples of um, African-Americans and other people of color being able to be successful, we still
13: aren't seeing the mass level of us being lifted up. That's right here on Get Wealthy, only on Black Star
18: Network. Hey, I'm Dion Cole from Blackest. What's up, I'm Lance Gross, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered.
7: caused her hair loss. A gun there spent months, spent months testing a variety of oils, butters, and creams to Eloria and her mother, Eugenia, to help Eloria's hair grow back. After finding nothing that worked, the teen entrepreneur and mother created a line of products to help other black girls and women maintain their hair while undergoing chemotherapy and other treatments. The duo then soon launched Elora Beauty. Elora and Eugenia Jonas now from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Glad to have both of you on the show. Uh, and so walk us through the, uh, this process. I mean, it's always interesting uh, when you start doing something uh, on your own, when you can't find what's out there in the marketplace. And so um, uh, just what, what was that process like for you?
22: I'm um, like, mm, oh, sorry. Hi, uh, Roland. This is my first time doing this, so <laughs> I'm a little bit nervous. Um, don't don't
7: worry about it, just take your time. We'll walk you through it. It's all good.
22: <laughs> um, okay, so when you're talking about what was the process like, do you mean um, with the disease itself,
7: or no, you- no, in terms of y'all just deciding, like, you know, who, who whose idea was to say, hey. All right. Let's do our own hair care product company, and then how did you start putting together, start making calls, and uh, going through all of the imaginations to build a business?
11: So that that will be me Roland. high. So when um, Eliora lost her hair, we. Tried um, products out there to kind of help with um, the growth, but at the time, Alura was eight and she had been out of school for about um, a couple of months, so she was nervous going back to school without any hair. And we kind of were kind of desperate to find something that would work quickly. So I just started to experiment with you know oils and butters that we had at home, and they started working. The hair started growing out thicker and you know healthier with more density. And then, you know, a couple of friends who knew what the process was when she lost her hair started asking about it. So we spent a whole year, you know, giving it out to friends and families just to see if the result would be the same. And um, by the second year, we decided to have an official launch. And at that time, I was still making it at home, small scale. But now we've kind of grown it to, you know, having a co-pack up down in Quebec, handling all the production, and, um, yeah, that's where we are now.
7: Uh, And, um, I mean, so, for both of you, did you have any experience in running a business and working in a hair care business prior to this?
11: I do have another business, a cookie business, but with a hair care, no. It was just... Brought out of a need, I would say. We needed something, and that was how we started, really.
7: Uh, and so now, how, how do y'all divvy up duties? Who does what?
11: <laughs> she yeah. tries to, I, will, I do all the formulation, and dealing with the chemist, and dealing with the lab. So she handles yeah. the social to, like, media. and yes. stuff
22: like that, making videos to you post. Know, yeah.
7: All right, so how do y'all settle disagreements? <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh, uh oh! Sounds like there are at times disagreements.
11: Yeah, I'm just mother telling daughter what to do. I guess.
7: Come on now, you can. You can't. okay? First of all, what are y'all titles? Are you co CEOs? How, how do y'all work that out? Yes
11: co-founders both of us co-founders yeah. yeah so she goes to all the you know vendor events and she gets to talk to people and i kind of handle the more intense consultation you know telling people how to take care of their hair basically so she handles all she's the face <laughs> so she's prettier than i am so she's the face
7: all right so uh so, it, so when y'all having disagreements and you don't and you disagree with mama uh what, how do you how do you handle that
11: we pull that in. We pull that in.
7: Go ahead. That's,
11: that's when dad comes in. I think the only disagreement we've had, really, or we have, is just time management. Yeah, She gets tired sometimes of going for trade shows and having to sit all day and talk to people. Yeah, and then I go, well, it says you're a beauty, not Eugenia beauty, so you have to be there. I think it's just, like,
22: balancing between being able to, like, market the product and then also with like uh other stuff i have going on like school or just like extracurricular so sometimes there isn't like and there aren't enough videos to um post on the instagram so So that's kind of where we start to have an argument about need to do more videos and stuff like this how how old are you i'm 15.
7: okay you're 15. Uh, and so so when, so when your mom is arguing with you, not enough videos, uh, do you say, well, why don't you go shoot some videos
18: then?
22: <laughs> well, I, well, usually I say that, like, my sister can help shoot videos because she really likes to make videos, too. Like, she's, she's learned how to do it now. So usually that's I'm like, well, Ketra can also make some videos. So that's usually how it goes. But then she's like, but you're like the face of the brand and stuff like that. So it's, it's kind of like a back and forth.
7: Gotcha. Questions for my panel. Candice, you're first.
6: Um, well, first of all, congratulations. I am so excited to hear about this. So my question is, what did you all do to get the actual product to help with Black Women Edges? Because you know that's a problem that we have because... We were wearing those freestyle braids, you know, and getting a perm and trying to get the braids, (laughs) and took our edges out. So tell me, what is it that you all, what product that you all put together to help with Black Women Edges? So
11: we have, so that's actually one of our best sellers and it's the edge booster we call it. So we have two variations of that and that actually works for the edges. So we have people with really, really thinning edges and they use it for months and they come back and they say this actually works. And one of the things that I would say that really helps the black hair will be um, texture. So I was kind of, we needed something that would make the hair more manageable. And that's where the hair mask and the leave-in conditioner comes in. You know, because we have specific butters and oils that actually went into that to help to make the hair more manageable, you know, to reduce the amount of tears, particularly for children on, you know, wash days.
7: Uh, Mustafa.
9: Yeah, I got to ask the question for the fellas. Um, Do you also have products uh, that, you know, can help our hair as well?
11: So, for the hair, I guess the same products that work for the ladies work for the men as well. Yeah.
22: But, I'm, like, for beards and stuff, we have like conditioner, shampoo, and a beard serum. Mm-hmm.
7: Larry, you don't have a need for their products, but you still have a question.
10: <laughs> well, I, I, got, I, got, I got the beard. So, they some, you know, I said some, you know, serum for the beard. So I can, I can check out the beard products, but uh, the hair yes, products, we do have- those days are gone. So, uh, my question is uh, testimonials. So you, and I know you, Roland talked about your story in the background, and if you could talk about what you're hearing, particularly from black women, because we know it's, it's the challenges black women in hair in our society. Can you talk about the testimonials you heard from people to use your products?
11: We have a whole lot, I have to say, you know, and that's what makes it really fulfilling. We have um, photos on Instagram with, you know, comments and text messages from mothers who have tried the product with before and after photos saying, you know, this was how it was when I started using it and it's been a month, this is what I have now. And we have moms usually or clients take photos of day one and day 30, just to be sure that they too can actually see how far their hair has come. We get, customers sometimes to take photos of the shedding that they have when they wash their hairs before they start to use our products and then take shedding of the photos after they use our product just with it, that way they can compare and see how healthy the hair is in between using our products
7: all right then um all right so okay so you have these products here um and so
11: um, are you looking to add more
7: products on the line?
11: Yes, based on customer feedback, yes, we are planning. So what we have right now, it's basically hair growth. The products we have right now were formulated based on the problems we're having at the time. So these are just engineered towards hair growth. We have had people who have thinning hair, and they've talked about, you know, we need something that will make our hair thicker, more density. We have moms who have asked for detanglers. Um, so, those are things that we are working on. But we can't rush it. We have to make sure it actually works before we put it out there. So, that will probably happen maybe next year or the, near after, or the year after.
7: All right. But also, was, so what is this chin chin crunchy cookie snack that was in the package?
11: So that is, that goes out complimentary with every order. So that's actually my business. Chinchin chin is, um, it's uh, West African, originally i we are Nigerians and that's what I had growing up as a child as a snack. So it's complimentary for every order. So that just went in there. That's a cookie. You should try it.
7: All right, then I uh, will look, we appreciate it. Uh, look, good luck. First of all, where can people tr- get your products?
11: So we ship World Wild and it's available on the website, alirabeauty.com. And you can also have, ask questions if you have any from our Instagram or send an email. There's always someone, you know, available to answer any questions that you might have.
7: And we do ship to the U.S. as well. All right, then. Well, look, we certainly appreciate uh, y'all, y'all being with us. And so uh, let's uh, work out those co-founder dynamics. Yes, uh, we will. <laughs> uh, when it comes to decision making. Uh, and uh, we appreciate it. Good luck. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much, thank
11: Roland,
7: you. for
11: having us. Thank you so uh, much. All
7: right. Thank you very much. All right, folks, when we come back, uh, we'll talk about the new head of the Florida Democratic Party. She's got a tough job trying to rebuild and restore a party that has been crushed in the last several elections. We'll talk to her next on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network.
12: Next on The Black Table with me, Greg Carr. We feature the brand new work of Professor Angie Porter, which, simply put, is a revolutionary reframing of the African experience in this country. It's the one legal article everyone, and I mean everyone, should read Professor Porter and Dr. Valethia Watkins, our legal roundtable team, join us to explore the paper that I guarantee is going to prompt a major aha moment in our culture.
16: You
13: crystallize it by saying, who are we to other people? Who are African people to others? Governance is our thing. Who are we to each other? the structures we create for ourselves, how we order the universe as African
6: people.
12: That's next on The Black Table, here on the Black Star Network.
3: impacted by the culture, whether we know it or not. From politics to music and entertainment, it's a huge part of our lives. And we're going to talk about it every day right here on The Culture with me, Faraji Muhammad, only on the Black Star Network.
12: Pull up a chair, take your seat the Black Tape. With me, Dr. Greg Carr, here on the Black Star Network, every week. We'll take a deeper dive into the world we're living in. Join the conversation only on the Black Star Network.
3: What's going on? This is Tobias Trevilian. Hey, I'm Amber Stevens West. Yo, what up, y'all? This is Jay Ellis, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered.
7: Uh, Democrats in Florida have uh, suffered a whole lot the last several different elections. Uh, remember it was uh, and it was uh, uh, Andrew Goodman who, first of all, he oh my God, 30,000 votes. 30,000 votes as all he lost by to Ron DeSantis, Andrew Gillum, but of course DeSantis we now see what happens when he's governor of Florida. Then of course you have Trump winning Florida. Republicans uh, have been crushing Democrats across the state. It is a party that is uh, in disrepair, uh, unorganized, you name it. People have said all kinds of different things. My next guest, her job is to try to rebuild it. Nikki Freed has a very tough task at hand. She's the new head of the Florida Democratic Party. Nikki, glad to have you back on the show. Uh, you would have arguably, I say, a tougher job trying to uh, restore your Democratic Party in Florida than President Biden has leading America.
5: I don't disagree with that. Uh, I think that I've got the toughest political job in all of America, Um, and it was uh, definitely not something that I had originally thought was going to be the next chapter of my life. Um, But as you just said, we got to start winning again, Um, and and the party is in such disarray. Such disarray. But we'll get there. We will get there. We are going to fix this. Uh,
7: And remember, uh, the thing, what jumps out at me also, I think about the same thing in Texas. Uh, where, you know, I I hope Beto O'Rourke decides to lead the party there. And it's just you're dealing with these red states and how things have gotten very difficult uh, in terms of winning statewide. Republicans are controlling the supermajority in the House as well, gerrymandering all these different things. And so what is your beginning step? How do you do that? How do you begin to restore and rebuild trust? When I look at the data in terms of the top 15 counties and how they vote, your blue counties... Look, they're turning, they're not even hitting 60% turnout where these red counties are 65 60
2: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going
3: on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA.
5: He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... (laughs)
7: 67, 70, 72, 75 percent.
5: I just lose. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Am I still here? Yep, you're here. Or Go ahead. Looks like... You're here. That's kind of like spotty. Look, here's the thing, Roland. Like, this didn't happen overnight. As you know, I was the last statewide elected Democrat. You know, I ran out with with Andrew in 2018 and was able to win that election cycle. Um, But this has been 30 years in the making. We haven't had a Democratic governor since 1994. And so what we are going to have to do now is, you're right, is completely rebuild. Rebuilding how we, we talk to our voters, how we deal with voter engagement, how we organize, how we communicate, how we fundraise. And so when I walked in on day one, which is now a week and two days, um, to look underneath the hood and to realize that so much did, is not here, everything from fundraising to to how we register voters to how we make sure we have year-round organizing, and, and unfortunately, we every single election cycle have kept blaming this particular election cycle on whatever it is instead of doing that self-analysis like Rollins. I'm not saying that Ron DeSantis won by 19 points. The Democrats lost by 19 points. And so we've got to make sure we are doing the right self-evaluation. And I just you know and I apologize for being a little late today, but you know where I was I was sitting down with our our, our House leader, um Frances Driscoll, who is the first uh, black female to lead our Florida House. And so we were just talking, and that kind of conversation never used to happen with the head of the party, with our leadership in the House and the Senate. So already in week one, we are doing this differently. We are hearing from all across the state that people haven't heard from Democrats in Florida in four years besides me as our commissioner of agriculture and a member of the Florida County cabinet. But now we're going to be lifting up diverse voices. We're going to be doing rapid responses. We're going to make sure that if we've got something going on in Florida, that we've got somebody who is directly connected to you and saying, this is our messaging from coming out in Florida. Who can you have on your show tonight to talk about what's happening in our state today? And this is what needs to happen, that Democrats need to learn how to fight how to fight back, and most importantly, also be able to talk about the issues that are actually impacting the people every single day, not this culture war BS that DeSantis is pulling off. He's leaving our state to run for president, and we are going to be the ones who are going to be suffering from this radical agenda that doesn't gel with, with the everyday Floridians who can't afford their rent, who can't afford their property insurance, who can't afford you know, to even pay for gas and food on their plates because the cost of living in our state has become so astronomical uh, under this governor, and he doesn't care.
7: Questions from our panel. Uh, Larry, you're there in Florida.
10: I am, uh, Professor at UCF. So, uh, yeah, question is, we talk about the in Democratic Party, Roland already highlighted that you did, in terms of being bulldozed, right? We've just some serious challenges for Democrats. And when you look at the state's demographics, it's in the third largest state and one of the most diverse states in the country. And I'm wondering, and congratulations on your new election, if you plan on, in terms of you talk about uh, issues that people care about and talk about the kitchen table, are you planning on doing some kind of listening tour? I know you have to work on getting uh, the Democratic Party organized and, and differences in the party, but what do you plan on doing in terms of a listening tour and going throughout the state listening to voters, and figuring out how not only can have a, a stronger platform, but also in terms of recruiting even more people from minoritized backgrounds?
5: 100%. You know, I, I am I'm thinking things through very, very differently than we have thought before. You know, first of all, yes, I, I got to, you, you can't, you can't, the car can't run if the tires aren't even on. And so first things the first is I've got to put the tires back onto the, onto the car. But then we are going to be doing statewide tours, talking, and most importantly, listening to our stakeholders and every demographic across the state, from the Panhandle all the way down to Key West, from our black community to our brown community to our Muslim community to our faith-based community to our rural community, and listening to what's on the ground. You, know, the, the added benefit of me being chair is that I just came out of being our only statewide elected for four years. I just came out of running for governor of our state. So I have been doing a listening tour when I was running for governor to hear that. But it's going to be important that we're bringing those diverse voices into the party. So we are thinking through differently of creating a kitchen cabinet, um, of bringing back uh, different diverse voices, making sure that there's a line item in our budget for community engagement year round in all of our minority communities, making sure that we've got funding that's going towards our black owned radio and TV and print, um, and making sure that we are putting ourselves into positions that one, we are listening but we're showing up Um, you know how many times have i heard from our pastors across the state why do democrats only come to our churches right before election time that ends we're putting together a faith council i keep hearing from our youth we we don't have a seat at the table you keep you know discarding our youth and the next generation we're creating a youth council we're going to be able to start looking at things differently because coming again from an elected's I know what needs to get done on the ground. We just didn't have people that are willing to roll up their sleeves and stop the internal fighting. You know, Democrats have loved to do this. We love to, to, you know, take on each other, push people down, kill our our youth, and, and not willing to lift each other up, lift up those diverse voices. So this is going to be a new day. Is it going to happen overnight? No. It took us 30 years to get here. But... Having those really hard conversations, making sure that people like you and, and Roland and, that are at the seat of the table so that we make sure that we are listening to the message. I mean, even still, this the, what I just talked about with, with our, our minority leader in the House was that we've got to be thinking through the next 60 days. Unfortunately, we've got a radical report. Oh,
7: looks like uh, Nikki froze. Let me know when we get her back. Um until uh, hopefully we'll we'll get her back. Candace, until we get her back, uh, you're facing the same problem there in Texas, having to rebuild the statewide statewide democratic apparatus.
6: Oh, absolutely, And, and I feel exactly what she's going through because when I tell you, we're dealing with it here. But what I'm more interested in is what is her messaging is going to be to the disenfranchised voters People refuse or simply stop voting because that is a task that we're dealing with here in Texas.
7: Seventy-five now. Yeah, there was a poll showing 75% of young voters in Texas didn't even vote in the last election.
6: Mm-hmm. They didn't. And so and that is a task that we're dealing with right now. And so Me, I have to put the cowboy hat on and go and talk crap, and I have to tell a lot of these Democrats, we go in like the mafia when we go into our SDC meetings. And I let them know. I say, look, you cannot be scared to go in the hood. You cannot be scared to go to the stripler because them strippers can vote. You can't think you two better to go into the trap houses to get them to come out to vote. But you have to have the proper messaging in order for those people to respond. That's the key. Uh,
7: Mustafa, 45 seconds, real quick, your take.
9: Um, you know, we got to make sure that we're strengthening that Democratic base with right with the messaging that's necessary. But the other part of it, too, is that they're about, I forget what the number is, 4.4 million folks who are non-affiliated. Um, how are they going to make sure that they're also engaging with those folks uh, to win them over uh, to the Democratic Party? Well, first of all,
7: you can't win over non-affiliated unless you win over affiliated. Uh, so you got to rebuild brick by brick, and I think that's really what Nikki Free's task is. We'll reschedule her, some issues with her uh, Skype there, and we'll certainly get her back on the show. We'll try to get her back on tomorrow, but definitely want to hear more of what she has to say. Folks, that is it for me. Uh, I got to go. Don't forget, folks, support us in what we do. Uh, download the Black Star Network app, Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV. Join our Bring Funk fan clubs, and check-in money orders, P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037-0196, Cash App, Dollar Sign, RM Unfiltered, PayPal, RM Unfiltered, Venmo, RM Unfiltered, Zale, Roland at RolandSMartin.com, Roland at Unfiltered.com. Let me thank Larry, Mustafa, and Candace. Thank you so very much. Always glad to have my two Alfred brothers here and a fellow Texan on the show. Thanks a bunch, folks. Don't forget, to get my book, White Fear, How the Browning of America is Making White Folks Lose Their Minds. All bookstores, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Audible as well. I will see y'all tomorrow.
12: Hulk! Folks, Black Star Network is...
8: Hi, I'm Dr. Jackie Hood-Martin, and I have a question for you. Ever feel as if your life is teetering and the weight and pressure of the world is consistently on your shoulders? Well, let me tell you, living a balanced life isn't easy. Join me each Tuesday on Black Star Network for A Balanced Life with Dr. Jackie.